But I'll never forget, and you know, I, 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 I was told up front, Ralph, you're always going to have to work on your house. But I remember around 1992, the doors began to not lock. And I had some friends who knew what they were doing, came in and said, well, Ralph, your foundation is bad. So when we're getting alone and trying to get this fixed, and we said, you know what, we'll put our bedrooms were so small, and so we're going to put our bedrooms downstairs, uh, and we'll dig out and have a, have a place there to stay. And so one problem, the contractor was a con artist. So he left us with half-finished exterior walls. He left with our money because I didn't realize that I should wait and pay along the way. Well, I tried to, but he was good at pulling it out from me. But in God's grace, there were men here at Good News who came alongside me and Chris and helped us to work on the house. There were groups from Alabama that came up and worked, and I'll never forget, we finished a basement. New, new tile. Nice new tile. Nice, freshly painted walls. We were getting ready to move in. I'll never forget, Davida Jarena was graduating from CLA. We had ridden out to Arlington Heights, and that day, a storm came. And we got, I think it was eight inches of rain within an hour. And as often happens, those of you who lived here in Chicago, the city did their thing with the gates. And um, people got seven, eight feet of water in their basements. In God's grace, we got seven or eight inches. But that storm hit. I knew that I had to work on the house often. I wasn't looking for that storm. I wasn't looking for those eight inches in that onslaught of water. Things that looked great. Like I said, we were ready to move in. After several, several years of struggling, we were ready to move in, then boom, the flood. The skies were no longer blue. The sudden storm had hit. In the same way, the Jewish exiles had returned to Jerusalem in chapter 4, we'll be reading. They had just completed their altar, had just completed the foundations for their new temple, and boom, opposition hit. In chapter 1, we had seen God's sovereignty, how he had stirred the heart of King Cyrus, to proclaim for the Jews to return. In chapter 2, we saw a list of people whose spirit God had moved to to return. In chapter 3, as Pastor Eric preached last week, we saw the rebuilding of the altar and the beginning of the foundation of of the temple. And we heard how some of the older returnees cried tears because they remembered a more glorious and much larger temple. And others cried tears of joy as they worshiped God. As Pastor Eric mentioned last week, the trip just to get 
from Babylon to Jerusalem was probably eight or nine hundred miles. It took months to get there. Many dangers along the way. So on this day, after they had completed everything last week, we heard that they praised the Lord and gave thanks. They said, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Things were looking good for the Jews. But there had definitely been some conflict because in chapter 3, verse 13, we'd seen that they worked to, al- to build the altar because they were in fear of the people of the land. So here we have the Jewish people on cloud nine, so to speak, excited. The skies were blue. And then, boom, the opposition hits. Sometimes we're caught totally off guard by adversity in our own lives. Today, as we continue in chapter 4 of Ezra, I want us to look at the inevitability of adversity. I want us to look at the face of adversity that the Jewish people um, faced. I want us to look at the schemes. What were their plans? The persistence of the opposition that lasted for years and years and years. And finally, we'll see the consequences of that opposition. Well, Scripture is very clear that we'll face opposition, and it's very clear that we have very much an adversary in Satan. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes your way. And 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When we just look at Satan's names, we can kind of see that he is who he is. Satan means adversary. First Peter says, be sober, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Devil means slanderer. In Revelation 12, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, as he accused them day in and day out. Of course, Satan uses false doctrine to attack the church and to attack the people. And we need to remember that our chief adversary, as we face problems and issues here, is Satan, and he's a liar, he's a slanderer, he's an accuser of the brethren. In verses 1 and 2, if you'll turn there with me in your, in your Bibles, verses 1 and 2, we'll see um, immediately the adversaries that the Jewish people faced. And when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel in the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you. For we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. You look and you say, enemies? Adversaries? Why 
Why are they calling these wonderful people adversaries? They, they offered to help. They want to help rebuild the temple. Well, let's go back and refresh our memory about history. The Assyrians, if we remember, chose to scatter their enemies as they captured them. The Babylonians made captives their slaves, if you remember Daniel and his friends. The Persians under King Cyrus, uh, who defeated uh, their people, they would take their prisoners back to their land, and they sought to instill gratitude instead of hatred. Well, the exiles had concern regarding these people because their, their fears weren't unfounded. When the Assyrians had defeated the northern tribe called Israel, they transplanted these Israelites far from their homeland, and they brought in other people who they have subjected. And we know that these people came in worshiping other gods, and we'll see later on uh, how that all came about. But the Babylon Empire defeated Judah and destroyed Jerusalem, and of course the land there left only a few poor Jewish people. So who were these adversaries? Let's, let's put a face on them, so to speak. Racially, we're not sure. Some would say that they were, were a mixture of the Jewish people who had stayed behind and had intermarried with those brought in by the Assyrians. Others would say that they were, were there was no Jewish uh, blood in them, that they were totally just the, the people that had been captured and brought in. Um, so we're not sure exactly who they are, but we know that at least for the most part that they were, they were brought in. Spiritually, they blended their beliefs with the principles of Judaism. Second King 17, 33 and 41 says, talking about these people, uh, people of the land, says they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. 41 says, and these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. So we see that what they did is they just, they had their hundreds or however many gods and they just added Yahweh onto it. We know that they didn't believe in the full Old Testament, only the first five books of uh, the Old Testament. They had a different sacrificial system. And again, they blended their beliefs from their homelands in with Judaism. Third, politically, we know that they weren't happy to see all these Jewish people returning. Again, the Jewish people had been moved out for the most part. These people who had been captured and brought in, they had taken over the lands. And all of a sudden, these Jews are brought back in, and they're taking over things. And they're wanting to build their temple, and they're wanting to build their homes. So the people of the land were definitely politically opposed to the Jewish people. So we can clearly see the dangers then, um, in, in various ways, that the Jewish people had. Well, in the first two uh, verses, we, we, we saw the adversaries there. I want to read part uh, verse 2 again. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers and said to him, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon. So we see here the scheme. We see the scheme 
of the people of the land. First was construction. We want to join in with you. We want to help you. And secondly was a very subtle, deceitful uh, misrepresentation of who they were. They says we can unite on what we have in common. We worship the same God. They just failed to mention that, hey, we've got all these other gods on the side. What would be the advantage for them to even make this offer? Well, in the minds of the people of the land, the Jewish people needed money, and they needed manpower, they needed labor. So their thoughts were, the Jewish people may very well say, yes, join in with us. And of course, for the, the people of the land, they would have say-so in what was happening. They would have control, or at least some control, of what was going on. When verses 3 through 5, we see that we see the Jews' response to the offer and its rejection outright. Let's read it in verses 3 through uh, 3 and 4 here. But Zerubbabel, Yesu, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building the house of our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Well, again, one might wonder, why such a harsh response if we didn't already know what was going on? One might say, why not let these fellow Yahweh worshipers join in? But the Jewish people knew that the people of the land did not worship the same God. We hear sometimes today people say, ah, the Muslims worship the same God. But the God that I see of Islam is very different from the God I see of Christianity. And the passages, the passage here, one through three, really shows that the people, the Jewish people were committed to holiness. They probably remembered the fact that they had joined in with people before in offering their children as sacrifices, turning from God toward other idols. And so they're quick to say no. We see in verses 4 and 5 that the people of the land had many approaches to their opposition. When their offer was uh, turned down, they didn't stop. Verses 4 and 5, we read, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their plans and purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even through the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So first, they made the offer of compromise. And then they come along when they said, no, you can see that antagonism is there. They turned us down. So they began to discourage. They bribed public officials to be against them. And in any way they could, fought to stop the process. We look and we see opposition to God's word being taught back then. Today, just in the last year or two, I, I saw a Bonner report among self-identified Christians. Only 55% of self-identified Christians believe that 
the Bible is, is accurate in all that it teaches. Only 55%. Almost half, or 47% of Christians believe that Satan is merely a symbol of evil. That he's not real. 49% believe that the Holy Spirit is only a symbol. And when faced with the statement, the Bible and the Quran and the Book of Mormon are different expressions of the same spiritual truths, Christians, 20% of Christians agreed strongly. Another 22% agreed somewhat. 12% disagreed somewhat. Only 28% of these self-expressing Christians disagreed that the Bible and the Quran and the Book of Mormon are, are the same expression of the same, same truths. Do you see how today in our world that the people of the land have come along? They've taken our word the Word of God, and they have blended it in. We can see it on Oprah. We can watch it in movies. We can see it on TV. Our, our politically correct culture says that the biblical view of Christ being the only way to the Father is um, so very wrong and so unpopular. So we need to be careful today when we look at, at the people around us, the people of the land around us, and what they believe. And as we face opposition, we need to look to God. Because it's easy to become discouraged, intimidated, fearful, and frustrated. Well, we've seen the reality of adversity. We've seen the face of adversity, 9 verses 6 through 23, we're going to see the persistence, the long span of time that these people continued. And, and before we begin, I want you to, to know that this passage here, 6 through 23, is kind of a parenthesis in the, in the process. It's, it's almost like, and you'll see it later on, verse 5 talks about King uh, Darius. Verse 24, after this pas passage, talks about King Darius. So this is like a, a parenthesis placed in here because the author wanted people to see the long process of opposition. Okay? So, and we're going to be talking here in this section, even though we've been talking about the temple, we're going to be talking about the rebuilding of the walls. Okay? So we're looking far in the future from the, the initial building of the, the temple. As he wrote this, the author wanted the audience to look back to his forefathers. Their problems and their enemies, when you're shown side by side, were pretty similar. Their enemies were very similar. And their God was the same God. And his goal was that the people would be able to look back to their forefathers and see God's faithfulness in their lives, the lives of their forefathers. And so, if he was faithful back then, 
in the midst of opposition, he'd be faithful today. And this history of opposition goes through five different kings. Only four listed in, in uh, this passage, but five different kings. And it spans approximately 100 years. It's hard to tell because of the way people date things. Be it King Cyrus, his son, King Bices, King uh, Darius, King uh, Xerxes, King Artaxerxes. In verse 6, we see the first of three letters accusing the Jews of, of various things. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. This is the first letter. Nothing, no details here, was written um, to the king there. And then we'll move on and see in verse 7, another letter is written. This is written to King Artaxerxes. And it was the first of two letters that, that we see here. Again, no details. But in verse 7 it says, In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Meredith, and Tabeel, and the rest of the associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And finally, in verses 8 through 16, we see a detailed letter. It's the second letter written to, to him. And we won't read all of the, the letter, but there are three things in this letter. One is these people of the land, their leaders, write this letter. And first, they want to give assurance to this king that they're on his side. Truth is, is they hate the Jews and want them out. But they began by saying, to Artaxerxes, the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greetings because we eat the salt of the palace and it isn't fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Therefore, we send and inform the king. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you then will have no possession in this province beyond the river. If you read this letter in detail, you'll think, boy, these, uh, these people are so loyal to the king. Of course, they have a purpose and goal behind what they're doing. So we see their assurance to the king. Secondly, we see their accusations against the Jewish people. And they say again, the Jews are rebuilding, and you need to know that they are a rebellious people, and that the city of Jerusalem is a wicked city, and that you, king, you will be hurt because of their disloyalty. Then he goes on and talks about what's happening in the present, and then they go back to the past, and they say, you may do a search of your records, of your fathers, and you'll find in the book that this city is rebellious and hurtful, and it goes on down the line. Again, you'd think the Jews were so evil and so bad, and yet we know what they're up to. Third. They present the problems. First, their assurance, we're with you, King Artaxerxes. We are behind you. We love you. And then, secondly, we see the accusations. And then third, 
they bring up some problems for the king to think about. First is money. That's always important to a king, right? Revenue. They say if this is completed, if this project is completed, you'll have no money. That mentions all the different types of, uh, of taxes, the tributes and the customs and the tolls. So money problem, number one. Respect problem is number two. They were concerned that these rebellious people and hurtful to the kings would show disloyalty. So they're concerned about his respect. And then thirdly is the rebuilding project. If this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you'll lose possession of everything. So again, here are the people of the land writing this letter to Artaxerxes, king, and again saying, we're behind you, we got your back, we're covering you. Watch out for these Jewish people. And by the way, these are the problems. Better take care of it. You know, their information was totally false. They used some truth from the past and insinuated that was happening today or at that point. Characterizations that they were rebellious and evil, hurtful, prone to revolt. Well, finally, in, in verses 17 through 22, we see a fourth letter. And this is the letter, the response of King Artaxerxes to this letter. And this is where he halts the building. He stops and says, all building must cease at this point. He says, therefore, he says, therefore, make a decree that these men, the Jews, be made to cease and that this city not be rebuilt until a decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to hurt the king? What Xerxes, the king then consulted the records. He found that the Jewish people had rebelled against the king of Babylon years before. And that it had been a bad city in that sense. We look at this parenthesis placed in the, the rebuilding of the temple to show the persistence of these adversaries. Verse 24, we see a return back to verse 5. And I want us to read verse 24 and then read verse 5, just so we can kind of see the picture, what's going on here. Um, verse 24, then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Verse 4 and 5, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So I want you to see, verse 5, King Darius. Verse 24, King Darius. Verses 6 through 23, looking forward to the future, 
looking at the rebuilding of the city and the walls itself. So we, we, move, we come back, okay? We come back to the time of, of the temple, and we're told that it was halted. It was halted. It seems that, that the opposition uh, could have been, it's, it's hard to tell with, the, with the, the dating of people, but anywhere from 10 to 15 years, probably minimally, um, that they went through opposition. Of course, over the years, 100 years, um, from, from the building of the, the altars on through the, the build, uh, building of the, the walls. Adversity. We all face it every day. I think we're, we're all familiar with, with the fact that when God placed the original curse on the land back with Adam and Eve, after the fall, that there was an opposition within nature. No longer did crops just grow well. There were weeds, there were things that had to be taken care of. And probably a picture that I think probably that most of us are familiar with is the Pacific Salmon. We've all seen those dramatic pictures of the salmon jumping many, many feet in the air, um, waterfalls. And the eggs of the Pacific Salmon are hatched in very fast-moving streams and rivers. And once they're hatched, they spend their early part of their lives close by there. And then as they grow up, they start moving downstream. They keep moving downstream until they get to the Pacific Ocean. And they stay there for a while until they're grown. And then comes a time for them to make this 900 to 1,000 track um, of miles back up, back up. Before, when they came out as, as uh, you know, babies, they were flowing with the water. But when they go back, they're not going downstream. It's harder. And the closer they get to that stream, the closer they get to, to their old home, the harder it gets. Seems like everything else is going in a different direction. It's almost impossible, it seems, for them to go. There's the rocks, there's the logs, and those falls that they've got to jump over. Hundreds of miles. Everything is against them. Everything is opposition. And further they go, the harder it seems to go. You know, facing opposition isn't just for the remnant. Or is it just for the Pacific Salmon? Opposition is something we face. We're facing today. In our lives individually, in our lives as a church corporately, opposition is there. We have to face it in our walk with Christ. We need to stand against that, that culture, that pervasiveness of our culture that is so opposed to what God's word says. We need to be aware of the persuasiveness of the message. It sounds good unless we know what God's word says. If we aren't careful, we might be pulled in to a compromise. Well, the consequences for the Jewish people in the book of Ezra, it says that 
work ceased. It stopped. It was halted. Opposition is inevitable. How do you and how do I handle it individually? How do we as a church corporate handle opposition? I think the first thing we need to do is to recognize the adversary. Again, he's Satan. Remember, he loves to cause disharmony, discouragement, instead of hope. He loves to see resignation instead of holy ambition. Remember his tools. Compromise. Deceit. Misrepresenting the facts. Bribing. We'll go on and on. But the results, the results back then and the results now for us, if we listen to the lies of Satan, if we allow the adversary to win is the work is halted. The work is halted. And we as individuals become discouraged and demoralized. So first we need to know the adversary. Secondly, we need to fight right. Fight right by knowing God's word, by prayer, and by encouragement. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. Our tendency too often is to go it alone. And we can't make it alone. We need each other. We need people sometimes to say, hey, Ralph, that's sin. Or Ralph, put your arm around me and come alongside me. We need encouragement. Thirdly is face opposition, don't quit. Sometimes, probably the most spiritual thing we can do is to not quit. To not quit. There are times, if we're honest with ourselves, we may feel like quitting. We don't do that. We don't dare do that. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, I think says it so well. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Men and women, church as a whole, corporately, we're facing opposition. It's inevitable. Sometimes we can handle them. Sometimes it's that boom that we're not ready for. We need to know the opposition. We need to know their schemes his schemes is he uses people the consequences trusting in him let's pray our father in heaven oh father may our hearts be like the writer of 
Habakkuk, where he says that even though there are no fruit on the trees and there are no crops in the field and there are no animals in the herd, yet the world trusts in you. I thought, may we lean on you, may we look to you, may we trust you, knowing, God, that you are faithful. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.